Hello and welcome to a Sunday edition of Las Blancas podcast. I'm your host, Om Arvin, and I am joined by Grant Little. And it should be a pretty upbeat podcast today because we defeated Athletic Bilbao 3-1 away from home, which has all but secured qualification for the UEFA Women's Champions League. Mathematically, there's still a possibility that Real Sociedad can catch us, but they have to win their next four games and we have to lose our next three. Now, we still do have to play them one more time. But that's a pretty unlikely scenario. Not to say that it can't happen. We've definitely seen some strange things happen in our years watching sport. But we are in a very, very good situation right now. And there's good reason to be happy. Not overconfident, not act like it's all over. But I think what we saw today and the position we're in right now warrants a certain degree of happiness. And when I say performance, it wasn't one of those which we've been complaining about since the international day where. If we do get the victory, which again has been rare since the international break, there have been a lot of drop points. It's been a case of like, oh, the system wasn't good, tactics off. Today, the tactics were quite good. They were quite interesting. And it was just a dazzling 50 minutes of football, really, where we went 3-0 up and we basically put the game away. And Athletic Bilbao got one back. But from then on, it was processional and we were just seeing the game out for the three points. There's a huge recency bias factor here, obviously, but this may have been my favorite Real Madrid Feminino performance of the season. Scratch that. Just my favorite Real Madrid performance of the season, period, for the men's or women's team, largely because of those first 50 minutes. And for once, it it just felt like everything we were doing was tactically solid and there was good reasoning behind it. And there seemed to be a good synergy between players and, and clear instructions and the movement between all of them. And we'll get into that. Before, as always, Grant, and I, I've already touched on it, I guess, what's the state of the league table? What are the relevant results that have happened? Yeah, so the biggest result happened after the match today, and that was Real Sociedad drawing with Atletico Madrid. If Real Sociedad would have lost, we would have secured a top uh, three finish. They didn't, and you know those drop points still put us in a really, really good position. Obviously, Barcelona is still in first, having not dropped points all season. They are just ridiculous, and we're not going to deal with them. In the League of Mortals, we are in second place with 67 points, one point above Levante. And then Real Sociedad has one less game played, 55 points, um, one less game than Real Real Madrid Femenino or Levante. So, like we said, there still is a possibility that they could catch us we have three tough games going forward we have Real Sociedad Santa Teresa who we've seen put in some really good performances against other teams that are in the top half of the table and then Tenerife who beat us the first time around so it's going to be tough but we we should expect that we would secure a top three finish and hopefully we will continue to perform like we did today and stay in that second spot And Barcelona, by the way, you mentioned how they always win. They almost didn't in their last game when they played Espanyol. And they they took it down to the wire. I think it was a Mariona Caldente free kick. I didn't actually get a chance to watch it. That just saved them at the death in injury time. And for a while there, Barca were at real risk of dropping points for the first time in the league season. It wouldn't have been a loss, but a draw is not something that has happened to them yet, not just this season, um, but 
it goes it, it's a run that continues from from the prior season where they did pick up a couple of draws but they ended that season that shortened season on on a run of wins if i'm remembering correctly and so it's continued into this one and just for a mere moment we thought we were going to see a mortal side of barcelona after they absolutely destroyed them right like it was a shocking final what we saw i mean i think i thought barca were the favorites a lot of people who watched them and paid attention to the spanish league thought they were the favorites but to have basically won 20 minutes in was quite something and then they go and after after they destroyed athletic bilbao as well to secure the league title and they had all those celebrations they go to espanol probably feeling a little complacent and they nearly dropped points so that was an amazing thing to that, that must have been an amazing game to watch. Just the entire league having a little bit of hope, and then it was taken away. And maybe that's the uh, little kick they need to just be ruthless for the, for the rest of the league season and come out as uh, having won 34 straight games, which would be insane, but it is entirely possible. And by the way, Real Sociedad have to play Barcelona. So, yeah, even if they defeat us, even if we lose all of our games, I don't see how Real Sociedad would defeat Barca. And, and that's the biggest reason more than anything that you can, you can be very happy about the position that we're in because it's just not that likely that Real Sociedad will get that win. And again, if Barca beats them, that's it. You secure Champions League qualification. Enough Abs- with that. Absolutely. And I think, you know, I talked about our tough schedule. They have Real Madrid Femenino, obviously, Barcelona, and then Valencia. And to get nine points out of that stretch, I mean, when you talk about Barca alone, it's, it's seeming pretty impossible. But, you know, we've seen crazier things. So it's, we're in the driver's seat. Our destiny is in our own hands. But we may not need to take advantage of all that, although we would very much like. We'd like to end the season strong, and we're still fighting for second place, right? Like, we can, we can qualify, drop some points, but Levante could jump ahead of us. And I do think it's a point of pride to be the second best team in Spain when when the number one team is the best team in the world and maybe the best team in upside in, in football feminino history. I, I certainly think there's a very strong case for that. On to this game, Grant, we return to a more conventional lineup, at least in relation to the entire season. We'd seen a lot of 4-2-3-1s back from the international break. A lot of Marta Corolera playing in attack from the left wing. Was it a bit refreshing to see that lineup? And, and what did you expect it to be? Did you think it would just be a standard 4-3-3? I was very, very happy to see the midfield three of Teresa, Maite, and Kasi. And I was so relieved that Corradera was not playing at left wing. And, you know, when it was 4.30 in the morning and I was constructing the How to Watch article, and I think if I did this at any other time, I would have assumed that it was a 4-3-3. But you know what they say about assuming, especially when it concerns David Osnar. You know, we, we assume that it's a 4-3-3, but everything is not what it seems when it comes to this man who just tries to throw us off every match. And it, it ends up being a little bit more of a 4-4-2 diamond with Aslani at the point of the diamond and then Jakobsen and Cardona up top. But ultimately, I mean, I think it worked well in the opening stages. Obviously, hindsight's twenty twenty, and we see the result, and we can say it worked well. But I was excited to see it. I was very excited to see the three-player midfield, and we saw a lot of the things that we, 
we emphasize that three player midfield brings to this team when we're not perfect tactically in that four, two, three, one. So I think there's two ways of describing the setup that we saw because you're right. It wasn't that traditional four, three, three and Cardona and Sophie Jakobsen ended up playing particularly narrow throughout the game when they were on the pitch and before the formation changed with some substitutes in the second half. The first thing that everyone described it as was a four, four, two diamond. I think because we've seen that formation before and because that's not an incorrect way based on our understanding of everyone's collective understanding of what 442 diamond is. It's not necessarily an incorrect way of, of describing that, right? Because Aslani very much playing between the lines, looking to be the link player. And because Cardona and Jakobsen are positioned so narrow, it is almost like they're two center forwards playing against the last line, pinning them. Another way of describing it, which semantically might be like half a percent more accurate or even 0.1% more accurate is uh, a false 9-4-3-3. And the reason I might say it's semantically 0.1% more accurate is because they're two wingers who are playing narrow instead of being two strikers, right? Which I guess would be the difference between a 4-4-2 diamond and 4-3-3 with false 9. And uh, I did, I mean, this is completely irrelevant what I'm saying right now, but I think it's interesting that for example, with Pep's Barca, when Messi is playing false nine, no one, well, I don't want to say no one, but just in general, Discorsa wasn't normally discussed as a diamond, though it was kind of the same thing we saw today. And it, it was thought of, especially post on post Edo, it, w- it was thought of, oh, that's just a 4-3-3 with Messi playing as a false nine. It's, it's just interesting the way language works. Well, I guess interesting to literally only mean everyone else is like, what the fuck is this guy talking about? But I, yeah, it, it was interesting to me that it was the first thought everyone went to was 4-4-2 diamond and not 4-3-3 false nine. And I think some of that has to do with the fact that we've seen the diamond before, like, for example, versus Barcelona. That doesn't go anywhere. I just kind of wanted to briefly mention that. In terms of the actual effectiveness of it, Brett, you already kind of were getting to that when you said hindsight is twenty twenty. It worked well. Why do you think it worked well? What about it? gave us kind of that offensive impetus that we needed to go on and basically thrash Athletic Bilbao inside 50 minutes. Well, the first thing that I'd like to mention is the team was firing on all cylinders today. You know, we've seen some rough touches, some rough passing, some misunderstanding of positioning. The team, the team was, they looked refreshed today. They looked clinical. Their touches were good. I thought the rotation in the midfield was exceptional today between Casi Teresa and Maite with all three players switching the point of attack, getting forward at times, understanding each other's movements. I also thought Maite was incredible. For me, she was the player of the match. I don't think this result or this performance happens without Maite doing what she does. Then you also had Cardona playing out of her head. We talk about the goal. I mean, what a spectacular goal, but also just some of her movement, the one-twos. You also have Aslani dropping deep and linking with the midfield. So it's providing this unpredictability of movement for Athletic Club. And also, I think Athletic Club wasn't very good in the first half, and that's to take nothing away from us. I thought we pressed well. I thought the counter press was good. But they... They looked like they were struggling from that result midweek, too. I think it is important to note that 
the individuals came out and played in a way that we haven't seen since the international break. I mentioned, I think on last podcast, maybe the one before, or maybe both of them, but Marta Cardona low-key was not necessarily looking like the player that she'd been uh, pre-international in terms of her all-around game, like she was still making an impact uh, in terms of goal contributions, but in terms of her dribbling, her link play, her chance creation especially, felt like some of that was dipping. This was like back to the old Cardona. And Maite, who especially in the, the first Madrid CFF game, right, had a sh- shocking game on the ball deep, which is not something you associate with her at all, was just about as clean as you could be, building from the back, breaking lines. She had some magnificent touches under pressure. She was excellent defensively, multiple interceptions. And when she intercepted the ball, she was able to secure possession with nice press-resistant touches to ward off any lone player counter-press. And then she released a forward player going the other way. I thought Teresa was also quite good. Hasi obviously scored the goal. But outside of that, a much more limited role in possession as you'd expect. But just playing smart, I think, in terms of offering herself on the wing for combinations when necessary, not trying to do too much in clog spaces, just kind of reacting off of Cardona and Kenti's movements so that she could make an impact with her positioning and then some some one-touch play, and then just be around in the right place at the right time, which is what happened with her goal, which came off a deflected Maipero's shot, and by the way, which came from a defensive action from Maipero's. All of it just kind of linked together in this game. Like every everything about the system and the player performances, there was just a beautiful synergy about it. And that's kind of what tactics is about from uh, like a higher level perspective. It's about putting players in positions that benefit the team, but also benefit them. And, and it's just like a cycle that goes back and forth, right? Putting them in a position that benefits the team ends up benefiting them and it just keeps going back and forth and then it benefits other teammates and it all comes together nicely and this is not to say that David Aznar is all of a sudden a tactical genius right there's a huge load of evidence we have but credit must be given where credit is due and I think he got it pretty much spot on with what he did today and I do think it is a tactical thing because we've seen a similar structure before where Ardona, Jakobsen, they just they weren't positionally disciplined, right? The reason that this didn't work as well as it did today in previous iterations we've seen is because he tried to put wingers up there who are not, who, are, who haven't been suited to that role and they just split wide. We lack the central occupation. And even though we have all those midfield overloads, we can progress versus pressure. We can get into the middle third. Our, our, our progression into the final third becomes stunted. And it's just balls down the wings. And it's like we just wasted all the work we did. That was not the case today. Cardona especially did, I think, a magnificent job interpreting her role. We know she's a player who is good at receiving inside from that right-wing position. And that's kind of what she did, right, from that position. She's like, I'm just basically going to be a very advanced attacking midfielder from there who will occupy the defensive line and then drop off to receive and combine, switch to the other side, turn and dribble. And it, it was like she she just knew how much to do from that position and how to, to make herself useful there in a way that still made the most of her skills. And Osnar, 
was able to flip a switch somewhere that basically stopped these two players who are nominally wide players from consistently splitting wide and just ruining the entire structure of the thing, which to be honest, I didn't really think was going to be possible given what we've seen this season. I thought the player tendencies and player characteristics were just too against it. I I mean, I don't know if we'll see this formation again, but possibly we'll see whether this is a consistent thing that'll continue. But it was it was pretty solid today. It wasn't perfect. There were moments where you could tell, especially to the end of the first half, Sophie Jakobsen was not as involved, was not getting on the ball as much as Cardona. I think she had a somewhat anonymous game. And she started to push wide a little bit towards to end that half so she could get on the ball. But it wasn't that much. It wasn't enough to ruin the whole thing. And for the large majority of the time she was on the pitch, her positioning was pretty good. So even though she didn't get that many touches, not that much in goal involvement, the simple fact that her positioning was like 85% disciplined had an impact. And that's the thing I think people need to understand is the simple act of ensuring good spacing and being where you need to be has a positive impact even if you never touch the ball because players like Sofia Jakobsen and really any center forward, but especially someone as dangerous as her, has gravity. They have off-ball gravity. Players will become attracted to them if you position them in dangerous locations, and that opens up space for other people. So we can talk all about how the fact that Jakobsen and Cardona, because they're positioned to threaten the channels, can occupy four defenders all by themselves. If you just think about it, if they're in between the fullbacks and center backs, they're occupying both players' attention, right? One can't leave. If that is the case, then then one of one of our attackers can make the run in behind into the space that's vacated, right? So that's 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 what's the concept of pinning. That's what the tactical concept is. So we can talk about all day about how that freed up Aslani to receive between the lines because Athletic Bilbao were defending in a flat 4-4-2 mid-block, so there was no extra player in midfield to kind of pick up Aslani, so she had all sorts of space, right, to receive. But what it also does, and this is the thing I think people underrate, by having narrow positioning, by having central occupation, you open up space out wide. Kenti Robles and Olga Carmona had space for days because the fullbacks were terrified to abandon their narrow defensive position lest Jakobsen makes a run into the channel, which is, I think, the one thing she's really good at when playing in, in a sort of striker, second striker position. And, and Cardona would just right? And suddenly she's one versus one with the center back, which is just a nightmare scenario for you. And so Olga Carmona and Kenti Robles received in space and they go to work. And it's no coincidence, in my opinion, that from this formation and structure, both of them had really good games. Kenti put in three, four dangerous crosses. She was feeling herself so much, she started putting long-distance shots on target in the second half, which I don't think has much to do with tactics as much as the fact that it was just kind of a ripple effect of the system giving her so much confidence and her play giving her confidence. She's like, why don't I just have a go? And then Olga Carmona was was her classically brilliant self, being strong in possession, getting getting down on the overlap. She put in a dangerous ball for, for the first goal, which I think illustrates the entire concept we're talking about, but we'll get to the goal itself. And, and I'll, I guess I'll, I'll say more about that then. I'm just really happy with the offensive structure we saw today. And I think 
if you want Aslani to be the false nine player, that's how you do it. Now, uh, the one thing is that I, I do think that it hurt Jakobsen's her involvement. I think she sacrificed a little bit for the team. I think it was better for the team as a whole. But you can't dodge around the fact that we don't exactly have the perfect personnel for this. And so there will be some trade-offs. But for the context of this game and the performance we saw, it was a well-worthwhile trade-off that created a really, really good offensive performance for the team. And, and really, from minute one, we were all over them. And it took a very long time for, for Athletic Bilbao to stop seeing a wave of attacks and for them to start getting things going the other way. Grant, I talked for like 30 hours there. Is there any point you want to pick up on? Or do you want to go on and describe the first goal? No, I'll, get, I'll get to the goal in a second, but I just want to highlight how good this performance was because it's something that we haven't seen all too often this season. And it's that thing that I always try and talk about, about us not playing to our strengths and letting the other the opposition dictate the tempo of the game, whether that be through their press, whether that be through their mid-block or whatever they're doing. But today, from the first whistle, we saw the counter-press, we saw the press, we saw us taking our time on the ball, but also moving quickly, these quick interchanges in midfield. And I mean, until we got that third goal and then Lucia Garcia gets the what turns out to be the consolation goal, we completely dominated the game. We were able to do whatever we wanted. And ultimately, they were able to put together a good spell towards the end of the game, which will happen when you go up 3-1 and the other team's trying to fight back. But I was really happy with how the team played their game, played the game that they're best suited for and put Athletic Club under pressure for the entirety of the game, pretty much. Before we get to the goal, just quickly want to mention, and there will be time to talk about this later because it directly led to some of the other goals, or the uh, third goal to be specific, and the first goal, actually, now that I'm remembering. Um, so actually, I might as well just get into it now. But you mentioned the pressing and pressing. So one thing with having those players narrow like that is immediately when the ball is lost, there's a very strong, I guess, structure. With, with those front three to just immediately counter press in central areas. And uh, I don't know if we really did that much preparation and possession to, to be all, be all like positional playing and prepare for it, but just via the offensive positioning, whether it was super sophisticated or not, it did aid our counter pressing. If you just think about how we were immediately able to compress spaces from the, from those front three, but the actual like regular press we did from open play when the other side was possessing the ball in open plane, when they had time to set up their possession game, was clearly something that we had drilled a little bit beforehand. We have been somewhat of a high-pressing team this season, but mostly from a 4-4-2. And so the interesting thing is, is we kind of did what we did versus Barcelona the second time we played them, which was we maintained the diamond shape when we were pressing. So Cardona and Sophie Jakobsen on the center backs Aslani on the central midfielder who drops and either our fullbacks kind of step all the way up onto the opposition fullbacks or when they play wide a central midfielder will come over and we just kind of shift our structure to the wing from there and Athletic Bilbao tried to play like vertical a lot just going straight into their midfield trying to get a ball into the center forwards and Maite in particular did a superb job of stepping up to, to cut out those passing lanes Teresa did a good job as well. Kasi did a really good job as well. But Mike is the one who stands out in my mind as being particularly prolific with that. 
And I think the press was a big reason for us controlling the game because we won possession back so frequently and in good situations that allowed us to just maintain wave after wave after all of offensive pressure. And when we get to the first goal, it actually originates from a pressing sequence that allows us to win the ball. We kind of reset a little bit in possession and then we played into Cardona and then I guess I'll let you describe the rest of it. Yeah, so we, we actually find Cardona running through the middle. We talked about how she did a better job today of working in those central channels, and she gets through the middle a little slashing run. She receives the ball from, I believe it was Teresa, and she plays it out wide to Olga, who's making that run like she always does, crosses it all the way across the box to an unmarked Kenty Robles, who does well to get end line a really nice cutback to Cardona, who again is making a central run into the box this time from those central positions. The shot is saved, and I mean, the keeper, De La Nava, has to do better on this one, I think. She kind of flaps it back into the path of Aslani, who does a really good job of reacting quickly, having that awareness to get on the end of that and poke it home. And it was a real poacher's goal, but um, yeah, I mean, it's what Aslani's done this season. She's been good around the box and she's been good from the spot and that's why she's leading the team in goals yeah there's a lot to love about this goal despite the goalkeeper mistake which i thought was quite strange it's almost like she was surprised that the ball bounced to her and like it was a bizarre push like almost like she was assisting aslani but there was so much good work to get to that point we mentioned Cardona receiving inside, and when she releases Carmona, and by the way, it was excellent reception on the half turn and awareness to immediately play that ball to, to keep the momentum going, right? Speed of passing, one, two-touch play is another component of like, okay, you have structural advantages, then it's upon the speed, accuracy of passing, and the way you receive the ball to catalyze that advantage, right? So you put yourself in a position that you then need to take advantage of and that's what we saw there. So structurally superior, then the player quality coming in with the right pass, the right touch, and the right run. And if you go back and watch the goal, you'll notice Olga Carmona is in all sorts of space because the defensive line just has to absolutely collapse on the three central players. Jakobsen's making some kind of run in behind as well. So the defense is just on the right-hand side is completely occupied because I think Jakobsen, for whatever reason, actually makes a run like in line vertically with Cardona, but in behind the defense while Cardona is running deeper. And so Olga Carmona receives free, and that allows Kenty Robles to receive free on the other side. Like It's like all of these theoretical concepts I, I, I'm talking about like come alive in this play, and that's, that's what I'm talking about, like the synergy of all of it, like how it will all just kind of come together if, if the components are all correct, execution is right. And it goes to, to Kenty, and then it, it, it's how you described it, right? And then I'll just add that Cardona continuing her run, which is something you have to do again, continue to catalyze that advantage, right? Okay, you did good work. You received inside. You need to now have the numbers in the box to ensure that from that position, you have a chance of scoring. Cardona makes the late run. Aslani makes the late run and it ends up resulting in that goal because we have numbers in the box to take advantage of any mistake and of our initial good passes in the first place. I should have like an analysis video of that out soon after recording this podcast, actually. But I, I mean, I think if you go and look at it yourself, it's, it's kind of obvious how, how like the tactics influence that. 
and it's just a really nice goal. And and this is this is the stuff I like to see personally, because there's such a clear process involved of how to build it, which means it's repeatable, and we can continue to do these things again and again that are proven from a theoretical and evidentiary standpoint of creating high quality chances and eventually therefore resulting in goals. I think I've said too much about it already, but it's because I've loved, I love I love it so much. And again, starts with that high press, moves to the possession game, and results in the goal. It's like the full tactical picture to coming together on that play. Yeah, and then after that, you we see something that we don't often see. A lot of the times, we are a team that really thrives off being clinical because we don't create a lot of chances. But we we created probably more chances in this game than we have in any match all season. In the 19th minute, we have a chance from the quarter, the corner. Peter has a glancing header wide. A couple minutes later, we have a really good counterattack. Cardona gets into space and crosses it to Aslani, and it takes a last-ditch tackle to keep her away. 23rd minute, another Cardona cross to Aslani. It falls to her feet, and she fires over the ball, over the bar. She really should have done better there to double the lead but then a minute later we get the second goal double the advantage and this again stems from the counter press we lose the ball just above the 18 and we have those numbers to be able to swarm immediately Jakobsen wins it back a few yards in front of the 18 yard box plays the ball to Tere they link up back and forth then Tere finds Kasi almost in that same space where we found Cardona in on the first goal but the inverse going on uh, the other side, and then Kasi finds Cardona, and my God, she takes an amazing touch to get free from like three defenders around her, just enough separation for her to shoot, and she just pings it off the crossbar and down. I mean, if you weren't awake already after that first goal, bright and early, this one definitely woke you up because it's a Cardona special. We get surprised, but anytime she gets the ball around that, around that 18-yard box, she's magic, man. Like, just un- unleashes an absolute rocket. Yeah, I was having a very good time at that point. I don't know, like 6 a.m., something in the morning. Too good of a time <laughs> that early in the morning. I don't know if I have much to add. It's just one of those things you have to watch to really get it, you know? Like, words just can't do it justice. It was pure individual genius. There was some good collective stuff happening, right? You mentioned the counterpress and how it led to that. But from that moment, right, it was just a great player taking over, making a great play and putting us 2-0 up as she's done so many times this season. I love it. I absolutely love it. I genuinely think she's probably the best non-Barcelona player in the league this season, which is a hell of a thing to say because there's so much individual talent in this league. For example, you could argue Esther is the second best or, or the best outside Barca. But, man, has she just had an absolutely incredible season and scored goals she really has had no right to. And she's done it again and again. I, I love her so much at this point. She's now my number one favorite round player, like men's or women's team. I, I don't think you could have watched her this season, and she can't be at least, like, top three or, like, you know, top five minimum favorite player for you, given what she's done. I don't think there was or there is ever a thing that Raquel will ever get as right when she she's like, look out for Cardona. I mean, I guess if you'd been watching the league, it's not too much of a surprise because she really was excellent at Real Sociedad. But 
I do get a sense that to this extent, the way she's been able to become an offensive leader in this team and become a star player, at least in my eyes, that might be a little unexpected. And yeah, I mean, I can't remember who it is that, that, that keeps telling us this on Twitter, but Raquel is always right. And <laughs> this proves it. So tremendous individual goal. And it was great for the rest of the game before she ended up coming off. Like she was really feeling it. There was a moment in the second half where she was on a breakaway. And I don't know how to describe it at all, but she like did some kind of skill where she like pushed it back inside and then chipped it back the other way to set the defender off balance, got into the box and maybe put a little too much power on it and sent the shot over the bar. But at that point, it was like everyone was in their groove and was ready to try stuff. And, and, and that's the stuff I like to see. I like to see such a level of collective and individual confidence that players are at a place where they're like, let me just start doing stuff for fun because I can. And it'll also be pretty effective as well. You're always going to have a good time when that's happening in a game. Yeah, I, this is one of those moments where I wish we had some of the advanced stats that we have in the men's game. Because it'd just be interesting to see what Cardona's expected goals are over the season and how she's outperforming them. Because I'm sure that she is because she scores from, like I call it the Cardona signature because she's scored from that exact spot or cutting in or whatever on whichever foot multiple times. And you know, that's a low, low XG shot. But for Cardona, like every time she takes it, you, you have the faith in her that it's going to go in. She's just that kind of player. It's like when Messi does the same thing or when Alexia Puteas is at the top of the box and shooting. Like, yes, for normal people, this is a difficult low XG chance, but it almost feels like it's a good chance for these type of players because they're so good and so clinical from that area. Yeah, we'll have to see how it goes into next season and the seasons that follow. But I do get a sense that, that Cardona is one of those edge cases who is abnormally good shooting from outside the box. And it really takes a lot of seasons to see that, but she has good shooting technique, right? She has good body positioning when she opens up. She creates clean separation often when she does it. So the underlying tools are there for her to be one of those very rare players who outperforms XG from outside the box. So there is Scout data on Primera Bredrola, on Cardona and Real Madrid Firmino. It's how I did my, I guess, mid-season statistical article on the squad, but it misses a lot of games. But from that mid-season article, Cardona was like doubling her XG or something like that, which wasn't surprising to me at all because a lot of her goals, even at that stage in the season, were from long range. And so I, I imagine that hasn't really necessarily changed. Like definitely not from that shot, which would have had a very, very low XG. I don't think Y Scout inclu includes defensive pressure, but if it did, then that would have reduced the XG even more because there were a lot of defenders on her. Anyone who has a Y Scout account, which I don't know if anyone does listening to this podcast, given how insanely expensive it is, that would be a place to go for some stats on Premier Ever as well. Though, I will say, and because I'm, I'm confident that no one from Wisecott is listening to this, I don't love their data. I don't think it's necessarily the cleanest in the world, but hey, when that's what you got, that's what you got. Yeah, I mean, so we finished the half basically just flying high, and we, and we end the half, then we go into the halftime break. Athletic comes in with a substitution. They take out Ohane for Unate. 
I didn't really see it change all that much in what they were doing. And that has to do partially with the way that we started the second half. We started it quite a bit like we did the first half, other than the fact that in the 47th minute, Athletic has a little half chance after Misa comes out, fumbles a corner, which was super uncharacteristic, a little scary moment where they, they could have gotten back into it. But we recover a minute later. There is we we press again. This is that that moment where you talked about might they really reading the passing lanes, jumping well in front of the ball receiver, driving, tries to shoot, ball gets blocked, it falls to Kasi. She just I don't even know. She demolished this ball into the back of the net. It was an absolute rocket. And then it's 3-0 and the game's the game's on ice. Like we're done. We we continue to perform well for a little bit, and then and then Atletic gets that goal, gets back into the game a little. But that Kasi goal was the dagger. So it it was not ill placed, but it's one of those where if it had ten percent less power, I think the goalkeeper would have saved it. But the ball was just in the potential save location before the goalkeeper could extend her arm. She just obliterated that ball. There was so much power coming from that shot. It, it even had a little bit of knuckleball action. I think almost after it crossed the line, that's how hard she hit it. I'm happy for Kasi because she played a rather understated role in the game. But sometimes that's what you need, right? You need players who are willing to do a little bit less, stay within themselves, do the simple things. And then she got her big moment and she took it well. I certainly think that inspired a lot of other players to take long shots. Kenty had a couple. When Corridera, not that she needs inspiration, but when Corridera came on, she definitely attempted some. We were in a place by that point where everyone was really feeling themselves and they're like, this could be my chance to get a goal. I, I don't know if I'm misremembering, but I think Maite also took a pop from range and she was like, why not? I will say there's one thing that changed for, from Athletic Bilbao's perspective. I don't think it really had much to do with the substitute. I think it was a tactical change. And it's maybe the one issue, and I, I don't know, because there is, there is like a sound theoretical backing to this decision, but it was interesting that, okay, we were high-pressing, but when we there were moments when Athletic worked their way up, however they did it, throw-ins or, or, or rare uh, possession chains, they got into our half, or, or near the halfway line, our defensive structure didn't change. Cardona and Sophie Jakobsen both stayed high, both stayed sort of on the center backs. And uh, they're like basically, or to a certain extent, all the Carmona and Kenti rollers were isolated defensively. And if there was going to be coverage, it was going to come from one of the central midfielders stepping over. And I think Athletic Bilbao made a conscious decision to target. I think I saw enough two versus one overlaps from the fullback coming on or, or coming on to aid the winger, especially versus Olga in that second half, that it looked like a conscious decision for Athletic Bilbao to try to get back in the game. I think the Misa, uh, when she like flopped at the cross a little bit, I think that came from a two versus one overlap against Olga. There were any number of dangerous crosses and situations you saw from Athletic Bilbao for the rest of the game ended up kind of coming from that. And so maybe that was a little like weakness there. I, and when I say there's a sound theoretical backing to the decision is, yeah, there's, there's clear weakness defensively. I think inarguably from a deeper defensive stance, from high pressing, it, it works really well, but deeper defensive stance is a clear weakness. 
But what it does give you is it gives you clear counterattacking outlets. And so you could be in a situation where you're like, one, we don't expect to defend deep that much. And when we get pushed back, we're going to bank on the fact that they are not going to have the ridiculous efficiency. Plus, we're going to be good enough defensively. We can win the ball back. And guess what? You have Aslani ready to receive, and you have two runners immediately going in behind her. Um, so that's a good counterattacking structure. But I do think it, it's, it hurt us a little bit defensively in that second half. And that's why Athletic Bilbao looked a tad more dangerous. Grant, you, you already said you kind of don't know how much changed. But when it came to the goal, do you think there was anything special Athletic Bilbao did? I mean, it came from a throw-in. So it's kind of hard to say. But we did see a little too easy on the defensive sequence. Yeah, I think this was not a good moment for anyone. I think we didn't defend the, cor- the throw-in all that well. It's just a simple flick on to someone running into space. Um, Peter does well to try and track back, can't really stop the cross. The cross comes in at a difficult position for Ivana Andres, but she really should have dealt with it. It was an uncharacteristic mistake that ultimately allowed the ball to fall right to the feet of Lucia Garcia. And when she gets the ball there, Misa's out of luck. Like she's going to put it in the back of the net. And she does. Um, I think it was just a little mental lapse and an individual mistake that led to this. Other than that, I don't think there's too much systematically to break down about it. It just looked like we were up 3-0 and we weren't all the way switched on. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to tell whether there was like a clear use of that overload principle happening from the throw-in. Certainly a lot of bodies immediately hit the flank. And depending how you, how you look at it, it could be maybe a two versus one with Olga, but Bobby Peter was also coming over. Mike Davis maybe a little late. They were quick enough with their passing and combination play down that side that they got the cross up. I think Bobby Peter could have maybe been a little tighter to, to stop that tempted cross, but ultimately Ivana was the biggest culprit trying to control that cross, or maybe she just she tried to clear it and she just mishit it. And we'll let it pass, I guess, because it was a good performance, but also in the context of the entire season, Ivana's been one of the best central defenders in the league. And she saved us so many times, but it wasn't a good moment. It was a clear mistake from her, one we don't expect from Ivana. And it got Athletic Bilbao in the game unnecessarily. And luckily, there wasn't too much more of that. I, I, there was some danger. I thought Lucia Garcia had a pretty good second half, given the circumstances, and, and put in a really valiant, heroic effort for her side. But ultimately, it was, it was too little too late. And it, it was just always going to be really hard <laughs> to come back from that deficit. And we kind of settled down, and even with the formation change, which I think actually hurt us a little bit of possession, we solidified the flanks with some of those changes, and it was sort of simple to kind of see out the results. So we get substitutions from our side in the 68th minute. Marta Corradera comes on for Teresa Abiera. Lorena Navarro comes on for Sophie Jakobsen. We move to 4-2-3-1 with Corradera out on the left wing, which <laughs> elicited groans from everyone. But on the flip side, which made a lot of people happy, Lorena Navarro came on and she got like 20 plus minutes to make an impression. Uh, and she played as as the center forward for a bit before another change was made later on with Jessica Martinez. Do you have much to say about how these subs change things, how either of these two performed? I just want to say I don't understand why Teresa can never play 90 minutes. Every time the 60th minute mark hits, 
Teresa gets subbed out. It's like Kasi has played every single minute, basically, of this entire season. You know, Maite was having a wonderful game, but you could rest her. I don't know why Teresa is always sacrificed. It drives me up the wall. That being said, you know, Corradera did what she did on the left wing, did what she does. She had some nice link-up moments. She tried to strike a couple balls from like 30-plus yards, and she had some bad giveaways. Lorena, I thought, looked bright immediately and had some good moments. But when we switched formations again and Jessica came on, I think that was the point where Athletic Club was really trying to get get another, get back in the game, and we kind of sat deeper. We were seeing out the result, and ultimately her and Jessica weren't able to get on the ball as much, or when they did, they were really isolated, and they weren't able to have that freedom and attack because we were seeing out the game. So around this point, maybe earlier, Athletics started pressing a little bit more, which is not something they did in the first half. I, I guess they had to go for it, right? And at this point, we're in a 4-2-3-1. I do think you could see some of those old problems in build-up coming to the fore. And it just made things... We had a little less control. Like, if, if you go back and look at the last 20 minutes, you'll notice that we just had a lot less of the ball. And I think a lot of that came from being unable to retain versus press as we maybe would have done much better with that three-player midfield. This was only something I caught on the rewatch because I was obviously occupied by the immediate reaction by that point in time but Lorena I thought had some really really nice touches versus press and showed I just think a good level of intelligence and coolness and calmness on the ball to continually get us out of tight spaces and it was it was small stuff it was simple stuff she didn't have a big explosive impact like she's had previously which has kind of put her on the radar for some Real Madrid fans with some of the goals she scored but she is that type of player who can have a little bit of that Aslani quality in her. She, she can come to the ball, be attracted to the right areas when need be, and get us out of situation to help us escape pressure. And I was surprised on the rewatch how many of those I saw. It was like four or five of them, which is kind of a lot for a 20-minute cameo. And so we already had our bit where we talked about Lorena Navarro, how we were impressed with her, and and how she's been helpful for us this season. I think this is another one of those for the people who really like her. Like, if, if you want Lorena Navarro propaganda, then go back to the last 20 minutes of this game and clip all her touches, and you'll come out with a, a pretty nice comp, I think. So she was a good positive for me coming on, playing from that striker role. I thought she played well off of Asani and alleviated some press resistance issues we had. And then Jessica Martinez comes on, in the 80th minute for Martha Cardona. And so Lorena Navarro moves to the right wing and we keep the 4-2-3-1 and basically kind of just see it out from there. One worrying thing, I guess, was Olga Carbona took a knock in like the 87th minute or something like that, 86th minute. And like five minutes later, she comes off for Claudia Florentino, which means she probably did have a problem because... It, it was the 90th minute, and if, if she didn't, right, I mean, what's the point? So a little worrying. Hopefully it's nothing too bad. And she also had that crunching tackle at right before halftime where that, that looked bad. I was actually surprised a bit that she came back out. So maybe it irritated that. I mean, we, can't, we can only speculate about what it was, but she did take a bit of a beating today. Again, hopefully 
it's nothing much. Like I'd really like to see out these last three games with her starting as many of them as possible because they're all hard games from now on, right? We also see that Santa Teresa and Granadilla, I think, are the, the three we have left. Yeah, those are the three. And uh, as Grant outlined at the beginning of the podcast, for various reasons, those you can make the case that all of those are pretty tough games. And we all are more comfortable with Cora there at left back than left wing. But I think it's pretty clear at this point that Olga Carmona is a step up in that position and she just offers so much more. So praying that it's 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 all good and, and a little ice bath and I don't know, some hot and cold treatment will take care of it and she'll be good to go. Another another good thing about this, if she did potentially pick up a knock, is that we don't play again until June sixth or the weekend of June sixth. So I believe we have a week break to hopefully get everybody rejuvenated and healthy. Yeah, I mean, this season goes like till middle of June, right? It feels like a, a long season for 34 games, but there are hardly midweek games. So we, we have week upon week of rest, I guess. So that should be good. And there's still, there's still the Copa de la Reina, right? Like if we're looking for more football feminino stuff in Spain, obviously Real Madrid's out of it, but like, man, there's still plenty of football left to watch, which feels kind of surprising because things have wrapped up in the WSL. Things are wrapping up in the men's leagues and we're like moving on, right? Like now it's the NWSL season and stuff, but it, things have dragged on <laughs> in Spain. And we do have to remember that was there was a late start as well because uh, we didn't even know if the league was going to go on. The players had to protest and there was that whole mess to even get the league up and running in the first place. So I guess it's sort of a miracle that we, we are where we are now. But I'm glad, man. I don't care how long it takes. I need to see Real Madrid Feminino officially confirmed for those Champions League spots. And I will feel, I guess, more emotional about that than I felt about a football thing in a very, very long time. I like to talk a lot about how when I need to analyze games, especially right afterwards, I, I immediately have to extricate the emotion, move into like objective mode or as objective as I can be. I am looking forward to just slightly letting go a little bit when it's confirmed and just kind of being able to bask in it. Obviously, we didn't really do anything to contribute to the team's success, but because it's still kind of a niche thing, there's a tight-knit community, we have to wake up at 5 a.m. to follow this team. I don't know. I, I guess I'll feel like some personal validation or something to see us be able to qualify. Yeah, I'm just rambling now, but... I, I can't wait. Hopefully, fingers crossed, knock on wood, once we do this. You know, everybody likes to post their custom... Real Madrid Femenino kits on Twitter. I can't wait to see all of them next year with that Champions League patch on it. Real Madrid shop, better freaking offer it. We want, we want the, the, the women's Champions League patch on our Real Madrid kits next year. That's going to be something super special, I think, for everyone. And I, I think that the women's kits are going to be flying off the shelves if we can get that Champions League patch on there. Yep. So we will join you guys next versus Real Sociedad June 6th. Real Sociedad have a game before that, I think. They have a game in hand. This was extremely fun. It always feels good. We do a lot of criticism, but we don't do it because we enjoy it. We do it because we feel like we have to, to be honest. It's always a lot more fun to just come out here and just say a lot of nice things about the side, about the tactics. It puts me in a better mood, and I'm really happy we got to do that today, and I hope the next three games will be like this as well. And as always, man, 
thanks for doing this with me. And, and I think you had about as much fun as I did, or maybe not, because once again, I talked for 75% of it. But I hope the listeners also had some fun as well. And uh, a la Madrid. A la Madrid.